Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, welcome back to Yolitics. Uh, you know, Wheeler is still out, but the good news is you don't just have Whiteley alone on this one. Guess who we have with us this week? Hello. The lovely Teresa Woodard, the best reporter in Dallas. Uh, arguably the state. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. We're, we're really, we're really deep in it right here. Oh, no, we're not. It's the truth. (laughs) I've always said that about you, but you're, you're kind enough to uh, join us for this recording on your day off, Teresa. Thank you so much. It is my day off. And so I'm glad that we're just audio because people don't have to see the glasses (laughs) and the baseball cap and the no makeup. (laughs) All right. So, um, Teresa, I know since you were um, an Aggie, an A&M grad, proud class of 97, baby. Class of 90. So it means you've had your share of, uh, of beer over the years. Of course. <laughs> I don't you think you can go it? to Texas A&M and not drink a beer. I'm sure. I'm sure. I shouldn't stereotype. There are those out there. But yeah, most of us at least partake a little. And, and I, I don't know the whole thing about dropping the ring in a beer. You oh, do yeah. that when you graduate? Is that what it is? Yeah. So when you get your Aggie ring, which you work incredibly hard to achieve that goal, once you get so it. You, you don't get a diploma there? You get a, a ring? Is that what happens? You get both. But you get a okay, ring once okay. you hit a certain number of hours. And a good Aggie ah. can tell you exactly how many hours it is, and I can't remember. Um, but anyway, once you achieve that goal of getting your Aggie ring, when I was there, at least, you went to the Dixie Chicken. You ever been to the Dixie Chicken? I have, and it's yeah. co- very cool. It's, it's a, a, it's a phenomenal a, place. A Texas, a Texas bar, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah. I've spent many, many an hour there. Um, <laughs> anyway, you go to the Dixie Chicken, you take that ring, you buy a pitcher, a pitcher of beer, you dunk the ring in the pitcher, and then you drink the pitcher. And the goal is to do it in... Like I was class in 97, meaning I graduated in 1997. So the goal was to drink that entire pitcher in 97 seconds. Well, at least you weren't like the class of 01. I know. I'm not sure what they've done. I'm assuming 101, but I don't know. Uh, but yeah, those poor did, kids. Those poor did kids. you do it? Did you do it in 97 seconds, a pitcher of beer? I attempted. <laughs> I attempted. If, I since, just can't since, see since you. Since I don't think uh, my yeah. mom and dad will hear this podcast, let's just say I attempted. <laughs> I, we'll I we'll make sure close. they get a link. I came close. Really? Yeah. Wow. Those were, those right. were many, many years ago when we could do many different things, Jason. We can't do those things at our age now. <laughs> yeah, long before social media, obviously. True. Uh, so what are you drinking today then? Well, I've really, I've really messed up because uh, I don't have any Texas beer in my fridge, which... You knew this was on bad. the calendar, Teresa. Say you, it you again? Knew this was on the, you knew this was on the calendar. Um, maybe since like yesterday, right? And there was not time to get to the, to the store. I do have beer in my fridge, of course, because I'm a good Texan and a good Aggie. However, have? I have california the Yolitics wow. podcast with a San Jose beer. This is a s- San Jose, California. It's called uh, Joseph's Brow Brewing Company from San Jose. It's a stockyard oatmeal stout. Wow. Is that yours or your husband's? I think we picked it out together. You know, at Trader a Joe's, stout. you do the, you do the, the mix, oh, like whatever you It's want. a Trader Joe's beer. That's all you had to say. <laughs> okay. They sell Texas beer, too. <laughs> they do. That, that does look good, though. I'm, I'm having a, um, a Dallas Blonde. Oh, well, uh, there you go. That, that, from, I love Dallas Blonde. Yeah, from Deep Ellum Brewing yeah, Company. Good stuff. Um, good stuff. It, it, it's a trusty standby. And, you know, so we went to the Valley, uh, South Texas. Let me open this up here. We went to, to South Texas a few weeks ago and um, did a podcast down there. Actually, sure. quite a few people are listening to it. So thank you very much. If you've heard it, if you haven't, 
um, I'd encourage you to take a listen. But while we were down there, I ran by an HEB. I picked up, uh, I think, eight or nine six-packs. Yeah, I remember Uh, hearing it. Weren't those supposed to be at the station? And so I could have just grabbed one of those? They were. And I I haven't brought them home yet either. And I hope they're still at the station. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Um, But... Uh, indeed, there, there are, there's a lot of We're not careful. Somebody might have, might have raided it already. I know. We might have like four left. <laughs> Who knows? All right. Well, let's get into it. Uh, so now here we are. We are a weekend early voting, halfway through early voting. And the numbers so far haven't been really standout in Texas. We haven't seen a surge of voters here. In fact, it's about the same uh, or a little less than it was in 2018. That's good news for incumbents. It's bad news for Democrats. And it has people like me asking, where in the world are these million new voters that have been registered since the 2020 election? Remember, the reason I'm asking it now is more than half, up to 60 to 70 percent of the total vote is going to be the early vote. So where are they? It's a very good question, and I think a lot of us would ask the same thing. The only excuse I can come up with is bad weather, which I know is a really ridiculous excuse. But we have had um, some really yucky days in North Texas and all across the state, so maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, or maybe right. it's just that people are tired of the process and don't feel like their vote matters anymore. And I'm here to tell you it does. <laughs> so participate. Vote. Yeah, indeed so. And the weather has been bad. That, that, that's, a, that's a legit excuse. And, you know, traditionally and historically, politicos and campaigns will even tell you that they don't expect a big turnout if the weather is bad. So that, that's something to keep in mind. Uh, last week we had, I think, Monday and Friday were both pretty rainy days. So that likely blunted some of the, uh, some of the turnout. So the guy that, that uh, is in charge of Texas elections, you know, they're run in each county. All the elections are run on the county level by all 254 elections administrators across the state. There are 254 counties, as a good Aggie would tell you. Uh, But the guy in charge of it all, who oversees it, is the Texas Secretary of State. His name is John Scott. He's been on the job for actually one year uh, this month. John Scott is a Republican appointee. He is uh, an attorney from Fort Worth. Uh, Governor Abbott appointed him to this role. And Secretary Scott has has always answered our calls. I'm appreciative of that. So we called him up after a week of early voting to find out kind of, you know, what's going on, what he expects uh, with all the questions going on. Remember, too, Teresa, there's an audit going on in the state. And that's that's not started by John Scott, the Secretary of State. That was something implemented by the uh, Texas legislature after uh, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, you know, made allegations uh, nationwide that there was widespread fraud. Nothing like that has been found in Texas with phase one of the audit. We're waiting on phase two of the audit. It was due out last month. That's one of the questions we have for Secretary Scott. And then the other thing, too, to keep in mind, Teresa, is uh, election night is a week from Tuesday, November the 8th. um, And Harris County, Houston, already warning that, hey, it's going to be a late night down here. Yep. Because we have 782 polling locations, and we only have two machines to count all the drives and all the votes that come in from those locations. Unbelievable to me. Darn good chance that we won't know the outcome of some of these statewide races, if they're close, yeah. um, until the wee hours of the morning or even the afternoon or the night of, uh, of Wednesday, right? Yeah, it, 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 that's. I'm shuddering to think about that because I... <laughs> 
I'm not someone who likes to wait uh, in those situations. Well, and that's, I think that's um, part of the problem. We've gotten very used to having election night, right? That, that you know the answer. And that yeah. was part of the issue that I think Donald Trump really, um, uh, he played on that, that we all thought, oh, we know the answer to our election within hours of the polls closing. And now we have to maybe get used to the fact that we don't, that maybe it does take days. That's our new norm, maybe. Yeah, and, and the guy in charge of elections in Harris County has got him Cliff Tatum. He's new to the job as well. He was just appointed last month. Uh, we talked to him the other day, and, and he said, you know, hey, I want accuracy over speed. I, I want to be slow and deliberate and we make sure every— want that. Absolutely. Make sure every single vote counts so there's no questions later on. So you're, you're right. You know, we, we all want to find out, hey, it's 701, who won? Uh, but that might not be the case, especially in close uh, statewide races. Let, let's get to Secretary John Scott. And the first question I had for him, the Secretary of State here for the state of Texas is, will Texas elections be safe? Here's what he said. Mr. Secretary, it's good to see you again. I want to ask you about the Texas election and whether it's going to be safe. That seems like it's on a lot of people's minds. What do you tell Texas voters? I think it's going to be the safest, uh, most accessible uh, election we've ever run. This is your first general election as Secretary of State overseeing the elections process. Is there anything that concerns you going into Election Day? I, I think the lesson from... You know, I, I started in time to do the constitutional election in November of last year. Then we had the primaries uh, and we've had a, a couple of specials and another constitutional election in May and the runoffs in May. And so what I expect is the unexpected to take place and take up the vast majority of the time. But one of the great things about elections and election officials uh, in the 254 counties that do them, most operate off a checklist. And it's uh, very similar to watching a pilot operate. They know what's to be done at the right time and they do scenario planning. So if there's a problem, you know, as long as it's somebody that is dealing with it within the processes that have been approved, there's a scenario that, that allows us to take place, you know, fix that. The Houston Chronicle had a story the other day that caught our attention and, and it was talking about Harris County saying that uh, its reporting of results might be delayed. Of course, Harris County is in Houston, the largest uh, populated county in the in the state and one of them in the country. But if there are any statewide races that are close, Harris County's numbers really could uh, postpone finding out who the winner is. Yeah, and we ran into that at the last election. If you if you uh, remember, we uh, were waiting on the primary results, um, and it ended up needing to get a court order to extend the time for counting. Um, we're, we're hopeful that doesn't take place there, but I, you know, their new election administrators, uh, uh, Cliff Tatum, uh, absolutely has his uh, heart in the right place and trying to do a good job. Um, and I, I think the county is. Um, they've got, like you say, the largest number of precincts uh, for that large county. And just from a logistics standpoint, it's very difficult with everything hitting perfectly. So if they run into any snags, that absolutely will delay the results. Do you expect it's going to be a late night because of Harris County? Yes. How, how late are you planning on staying up? All night. That's what we've done the last few. Uh, so it, it's not any different, um, but this will be an, another all-nighter. 
Your office says it's still missing some requested information from Harris County from the 2020 election. This is the uh, election audit that you're conducting. Has Harris County responded to the letter you sent? They did. They uh, it, they sent a letter back in a response. Um, and, and again, it goes back to, I think, a better relationship we have with the current election administrator than probably the preceding election administrator. Um, she had taken a decision that she was not really going to have much interaction with our folks at all. Uh, in fact, I think they pointed to a warehouse with a bunch of boxes and said it's in there. Um, and so that delayed the process. And we juxtapose that with the other three counties that have been very, very, very helpful. Cliff's now like the other counties. He's He's been super in working with us and trying to come up with different uh, answers to the questions. And that's Cliff Tatum, the Harris County Elections Administrator. Yes, ha- have they satisfied uh, all the questions that you guys have asked? Well, I think there's still some open ones that are working on. We're, we're, we're also cognizant of the fact that there's an election fixing to take place. Uh, no one, including Harris County, has all the resources in the world. So we want to make sure that we've told them to focus on the election first and foremost. We'll get back to these other issues after the election's completed. And, and Mr. Secretary, put this in context. What is this additional data uh, that you're still waiting on from Harris County? What does this represent? Well, I, you know, without getting too much into the audit, it, we sent a letter out. We had 14 uh, mobile ballot box uh, devices that did not have a, a, a chain of custody. And so most of them, not all, but most related to some drive-through voting and some equipment malfunctions and some dealing with those issues in the aftermath. And, and that's one of the reasons we sent a letter to make sure we can't have that many votes. Uh, and this represented over 180,000 ballots uh, out there without the proper chain of custody attached to it. So we wanted to make sure that they focused on that first and foremost. You know, the election code's pretty uh, prescriptive in how it tells counties to operate. Uh, and we wanted to make sure everybody was staying in the boundary lines of those prescriptive ways of doing an election. And based on, on what you know now and after conversations with Cliff Tatum from the Harris County Elections Office, do, do you think anything, any wrongdoing actually happened in the 2020 election? So, Jason, that's almost one of those narratives. We're really not. We're really just trying to find out the processes, what happened. I don't want to even plant the seed that there was wrongdoing. So the fact that there were not chains of custody, uh, that was done incorrectly. That's a whole different question than did somebody plant something. We have no reason to suspect those were not ballots contained on those devices that were properly uh, cast by eligible voters. Mr. Secretary, I want to ask you about uh, voter intimidation. There, there have been reports that we have seen uh, from across the country and even here in Texas uh, of men standing outside some polling locations with rifles. Does that concern you going into uh, November here with the political climate we're currently in? I think it concerns anyone, right? You, 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 there's a reason you don't see law enforcement in front of locations. You don't want someone to feel any kind of barrier to being able to execute their right to vote. So uh, I, I, you know, I'd love to say it's just one side is doing that. Unfortunately, I, I you know, some reports that have come out recently, I, I think it's both sides and that's disturbing. Um, I think it's the role of all of us to turn the temperature down and just let people go vote about the issues that they want and the politicians that, you know, speak to the issues in a way that that person wants to vote for. 
And you know, Mr. Secretary, last time you and I spoke, we, we talked about uh, some counties not having enough election workers. Gillespie County in, in the Hill Country is one of them. I believe your office has stepped in there. Are, are you are you hearing any reports or do you have any concerns that come election day, some counties might not have enough workers to actually open some polling places? So I have not, we have not heard that report lately. Uh, in fact, I, I keep in contact with some folks over at the uh, Texas Association of Counties that are great assets to us. We visit with the elections administrators all around the state on a regular basis, uh, uh, ongoing basis. We have not heard any reports that someone is not going to be able to operate their elections in a normal fashion. This is the first general election, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, Mr. Secretary, with the new voting laws, the first general election. Um, How many mail-in ballots have been rejected so far, to your knowledge? Because we saw quite a few in March, I think 20 percent, and you're really hoping to collapse that number quite a bit. Yeah, I don't I don't have that number for this. We'll start compiling that as at the end of early voting, we'll have be able to give you a number. I know that in the runoff election, it got down to like for San Antonio, Bear County, it was down to less than one percent. Um, and one of the great things, I think, and I think almost all counties are including it now is an insert. You know, we've encouraged voters to put both numbers on there, uh, on their mail-in ballot of both their application and their actual mail ballot, because if either number's in there, it counts as long as they sign it. And if they don't have one of those, we've got that track your ballot by mail, go to votetexas.gov, and they can find out where their ballot is in the process. And if there's an error, they have up until six days after the election to fix that. And they can, most of those they can fix online. Let's talk about the early voting numbers. Uh, you know, we, we have a week left now of early voting. The numbers in different parts of the state are kind of mixed. No, no surge really of voters showing up that we have seen. What does that tell you? It gets back to the narrative. I think it, it, I is in the it's each person is going to see it a little differently. Um, I, I think some people are going to say they're disgusted. They're not going to go vote for anybody. A pox on all their houses. I think others are are very engaged and get out there and vote and, and make sure their friends and family go vote. Um, it, it's it's probably too early to really say one way or the other. Um, I, I like early voting for one of the unintended benefits, which is you no longer get any text messages and it stops the mail stuff coming to your house. So I, it's a pretty good idea. I, I voted early the other day. Have you voted yet? I'm a vote on Friday. So uh, uh, I, that's that'll be done by the time this airs. There's still an audit underway of the 2020 election results in the four uh, four largest counties in the state. Phase two is supposed to be complete in September. We discussed what's happening in Harris County, how you're asking for more information. When will phase two be complete and and we hear a report from your office? We will definitely get it out in December. Um, uh, Why why the delay in that? Well, we want to make sure that a county has the opportunity to address some issues. And it's been a huge impact in Harris County, for instance. Um, things that they did not believe existed. They found some of those, some folks in the county attorney's office, I'm sorry, the county clerk's office that actually knew of, of a location of some of the materials they were looking for. And so we definitely would have liked to have had this thing out, um, but it'll get out in December. Uh, even if it's a footnote that they said they're still looking for it, it'll be out. <laughs> And were you talking about Harris County, where the county? It'll be all off? four counties. So we're going to do all four counties at the same time. Okay. And we're trying to make sure that each county's election administrator 
Raider has a chance to give an answer to these issues. So we've gone through with all four of them, the findings that we've been finding so that we worked on that. So with three of the counties, we're getting very close to, you could say it's already in the books and they're writing the report, which is true. Uh, and on the fourth one, that's Harris County. We're very optimistic that we'll have answers to the things that we know they should have and the things that they know that they don't are not able to find. And since the election audits are, are kind of new to Texas here, have the the audits in the other three counties separate from Harris County, Dallas is one of them, have they shown any uh, any issues that, that you've seen or is this just simply, uh, you know, you guys requesting more information, paperwork type it, it, issues? Yeah, it's really, uh, and we don't want to get into it before the thing. And again, it would be a narrative on my part to say the different issues. One of the things that's very, the, the ones that we've seen that have issues have addressed those issues for this election. And that was really the big focus as well. We wanted to make sure anything that was a meaningful finding that the county specifically had addressed those. Did any other counties besides Harris County receive letters from your office? No. Harris County was the only one? They are. Have you found anything between all four of the counties in the 2020 election uh, audit, anything that concerns you that might be a red flag there? Because phase one didn't really seem to have anything huge in there. Has phase two developed anything? I mean, I, again, it, that's a, it is a narrative. It's, it's when we talk about voter suppression, uh, voter fraud, then somebody will say, well, that's not widespread. And, and those are very ill-defined terms to me. Um, uh, and so it's really a subjective test. If my vote is suppressed or if my vote is stolen, hey, it's a big deal to me. Um, but what we found is a lot of processes that were uh, in, in different counties um, that were not followed, the results of which some give room for people to, and that's one of the things we're hoping takes place, was they give room to uh, narratives to be attached to them. We want to make sure that we put out a factual finding here that people can look at and go, well, that's not what that means. There's no proof of what you're alleging. And I, I think that's the other part of it, which is I hope this transparency brings a lot of a lot less misinformation or disinformation out into the system. Gotcha. And, and one last question on this. I don't want to get ahead of yourself here. I keep peppering you with questions on the on the audit. Um, but it, it sounds like these are more process issues as opposed to things that you would turn over to the uh, attorney general's office. Oh, I think that's was the goal all along. It was it's all about our the processes that are in place and the laws in the state. Gotcha. I want to ask about Harris County. Uh, you're sending election inspectors down there to observe the processes. What specifically are you looking for in Harris County? Sure. So election inspectors, and I appreciate, Jason, you asking that question. Inspectors are a normal part of our election process. They have been going to locations throughout the state all the time. They look for everything from accessibility. That's the first thing on their list. They actually have a uh, a, a checklist, and uh, which I'd love to be able to provide to you and would hope that you would be able to share it, at least a link to it on your website. Um, but it, 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 to have people understand, they're out there looking to make sure that a location is wheelchair accessible, that it's a walker accessible, that there's, there's not any kind of dangerous situations out there. They're out there to find out if they observe whether poll watchers are obeying the rules. Uh, they look to see that the processes of signing off on chain of custody documents, whether those are being done at the local precinct level. And so all those things on this checklist, which is really long, 
um, are done. And they're done by state inspectors, all of whom are employees of the state of Texas and who receive training, and most of which have done this year after year. How many inspectors are heading down there? Do you know? I, um, so we have 118 inspectors that are getting deployed. I, I don't know that we're putting out the number that will actually okay. be in Harris County. Um, gotcha. But that's a number that can grow or shrink depending upon what we're finding. Harris County is also one of four uh, counties that will undergo a routine audit of the 2022 election that happens next month. Uh, Harris County says, no way are we that lucky to be selected twice uh, at random by the Secretary of State's office. Was Harris County pulled for review separately? No, they were done the same way the other three were selected. The, the names of you know, the top uh, counties that were above 300,000 were thrown into a bucket uh, and they were drawn out and we put them on Facebook live or whatever the thing was called. Uh, and we did the same thing for the, the, the lower population counties and, and the, the luck of the draw, uh, was that Harris County was selected again. And, and I, I, I shared the kind of the, 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 the lack of excitement of them being drawn again and not in a personal, any negative thing to them, but it was like, we got 254 counties, um, but that's how it, we were supposed to do it. And it was done that way. We're a week through this early voting, uh, Mr. Secretary. Uh, there are a lot of people watching and listening to to how things are, are unfolding here. What, what do you tell Texans right now halfway through this process? That voting is one of the great privileges and duties we have as citizens of our country. And uh, the failure to exercise that is a failure to be a good citizen. I mean, take the time to go vote. It matters. Mr. Secretary, we appreciate the time and always taking our call. Thank you, Jason. Have a great weekend. So Secretary Scott there, you know, we'll probably be calling him up on election night or at least immediately after the election to find out what's going on. Keep the him other on thing, speed dial, Jason. Keep him on speed uh, dial. You know what? Uh, I don't know how I'm still on some people's Christmas card lists. <laughs> But I, I know still the get feeling. Certain... I think every reporter feels that way because you just right. keep bugging them. Every, every time the secretary answers my call, it surprises me. Every time some lawmakers answer my call, it surprises me. But nevertheless, I'm grateful. I try to be fair uh, regardless. Uh, and our, our next guest is going to talk about, you know, talk about being fair. This this guy is 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 fantastic. We'll talk about in a moment here. here here's the other thing. J just quick note about Secretary Scott. Yes, we're still waiting on the election audit from the presidential election in 2020, but the state legislature has mandated another four counties be selected at random. They've already been selected. Harris County is one of them. Cameron County uh, down in South Texas is another. Um, but the legislature says, hey, after every major election, we're going to do an audit to make sure things are fine. Now, we know why this started. We know why this whole audit mess started, but but it's not a bad idea to make sure elections uh, are are run correctly at the end of the day. Uh, you know, regardless of where they, where it came from, uh, it, it's not a bad idea. I, I am curious to see though um, what is going to come out in phase two of the 2020 presidential election audit that we're waiting on. He promised Secretary uh, Scott promised it would be out in December. 
we shall see. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is I think it is somewhat naive to think that um, coming out with a report that says, oh, you know, this data proves that there wasn't a problem. It's naive to think that people are going to pay attention to that. Um, just the existence of an audit makes one side say you're intimidating us and the other side say that, well, this is proof there's fraud somewhere, you know. So I just think um, to think that an audit with a detailed report is going to calm any fears um, just just a little naive in the, in the climate we're in. You're probably right. And, and, and this is the Republican legislature that asked for this report to be out there. And Secretary of State Scott said, hey, I, I want there to be transparency in the process. Yeah. But like you say, whether it changes minds or, or uh, reinforces stereotypes, uh, who knows? Reinforces stereotypes. Boy, that's something that seems to happen a lot mm. in, in our day and time. So, uh, well, the other conversation that we're going to have today is with somebody who really has um, an eye on the nation, but also an eye on Texas and really can explain what's going on in Texas, how it may affect uh, the nation in 2022 and definitely in 2024. We're going to talk to Rick Klein. He is the political director from ABC News, talking to him about everything from early voting to Beto O'Rourke to what 2024 might look like. Hey, Rick, good to see you. I want to ask you about turnout in the first week of early voting. Uh, in Texas, at least, it's lower than it was in 2018. This is bad news for Democrats in this state, and I presume nationwide. I think, I look, I think if that's right, I, I would, everything with, with, with early voting turnout has to be offered with a big caveat, which is that voting patterns have changed a lot in this country over the last four years. Um, 2020 brought a lot of states that made it far easier to vote early, a lot of new COVID uh, 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 concessions or you know, ease of access. And in Texas, as you know, they passed new laws that, that dialed back a lot of those laws and made some more restrictive. So it's hard to go apples to apples, but we've seen a couple of states, Georgia jumps out of my mind, um, Ohio, where early vote has been up. Um, which tends to benefit Democrats. Um, it, it, you know, so, so the idea that it's down from 18, the last time we had a competitive midterm cycle, I don't think is a good sign for Democrats, but I don't think anyone should overread this stuff either. You know, Texas is a huge state. I don't have to tell you guys this. And there's, you know, you know, millions and millions of people that have yet to vote. A lot of people um, have uh, have changed those patterns over the years. But if you're, you know, if you're looking for early indicators uh it would be democrats would have loved to see the numbers off the charts early on because it would have suggested that their base is uh is juiced on this but i, I don't think it's going to be a low turnout election i think there's going to be an enormous number of people to vote i think we're you know 2018 level uh overall turnout hmm. it's also been pouring rain a couple of days <laughs> uh, at least in the north texas area during early voting we all know that that impacts turnout and i believe um all across the state rick i'm curious um when you take a Senate race out of the mix, clearly we don't have as many national eyes on us. So is anybody outside of Texas paying attention to Texas right now? Well, I'm biased because uh, my first job was at the Dallas Morning News and my wife went to high school in Plano and uh, I, Texas is always on my mind. So you're an honorary uh, Texan. <laughs> I, yeah, I, listen, I know enough not to not to ever be called a Texan, but I know it and I've got right. my 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 family in Houston. I've, I've, sp I've spent a lot of time in Texas over the years. So Texas is always, always uh, front and center of my mind. It's also um, it, demographically and population wise, it's just too big to ignore and too big to not be a factor. So came into the cycle, very dialed into the primaries, really interested to see what uh, the future of the MAGA movement and Trumpism meant. 
uh, was dialed into the attorney general's race. I thought the George P. Bush candidacy was a fascinating national story. He fell well short, even against the scandals of Paxton. And uh, and then for the general election, Alberto is a huge national name, uh, and he he came very close, uh, as you know, against Senator Cruz in eighteen. And um, coming into this cycle, the question after he ran for president uh, as well and left office in Congress, the question about whether that was his ceiling or whether he could build on that was real. He had the benefit of running in a very good cycle for Democrats against a very polarizing figure in Ted Cruz. Uh, Greg Abbott is a different political figure. He's, uh, by, by almost any measure, I think more popular as a politician, as a person than Senator Cruz. So it's difficult for him. But uh, even if there aren't a lot of national or state level political pundits that think Beto, Beto O'Rourke's going to win, uh, I think you have to keep an eye on Texas for the for the demographic future or what it means around um, not just Latino votes, but also suburban voters, women voters, uh, and um, a couple of House districts that could easily be in play either way. You've got one where two members of Congress are running against each other because of because of redistricting and special elections and like one a Democrat and one a Republican, both Latino. So there's a lot of interesting trends going on. And I, I continue to think that, you know, Texas demographics dictate the nation's destiny and uh, in terms of politics, because if Texas does flip from red back to blue, where it used to be decades ago, it, it changes so much of the electoral math. A lot of people thought we'd be there already. Um, I think this cycle is proving um, like 18, uh, like 20, we're not, not quite. Uh, and there's some there's some bumps along the way for Democrats that um, tell us a lot about where the country is. I want to talk to you about those congressional races in just a moment, but let's talk about Beto for a second. Yeah. You said he's a, he's a national figure. He, he's a hell of a fundraiser, obviously, we all know, but he's run for president. He obviously ran in 2018 against Ted Cruz. He, he's been trailing in the polls from the get-go for the governor's race. If he does not win this race, what do you think is in store for him? Is, is he done with politics? Does he become a, a kingmaker, a, a fundraiser? He has uh, you know, a, a massive database that he can work from. Yeah, and it's so interesting because both he and Stacey Abrams were, you know, absolute rock stars of the 2018 cycle. Both ran for governor, both fell short. Uh, Beto turned around and ran for president. Stacey Abrams didn't. Uh, they're both running now uh, for, for governor, and they're both probably going to lose. I'm really interested to see what happens with both of them. Stacey Abrams has built that already into kind of a national brand around voting rights and voting access. Uh, Beto has a brand himself. Um, you know, how many how many politicians nationally you just need their first name? To, to talk about them. Uh, donors know him. Donors have donated to him. They like him. I think there's a, you know, Beto fatigue factor that sets in, not just in Texas, but nationwide, where, you know, once you run for, you know, three different offices in the space of four years and you fall short each time, people will start to wonder, what are you just a permanent candidate? You know, what's going on here? You know, I wonder if there's an exit strategy for him that involves a uh, a cabinet appointment in the second half of Biden's administration if something opens up. Pete Buttigieg, you know, is another guy that, you know, was sort of blocked out of national or, or a statewide office in Indiana. He just, there, there aren't many races you can win as a Democrat in Indiana. And, and, you know, his landing spot in the cabinet has probably boosted his profile. Maybe that's a possibility. And what he does now, I, I am I am impressed by his his energy, his passion. I spent a little time with him over the years and, you know, seems he's a genuine guy who believes very strongly in it. He has a real appeal. There's a a political talent there that, you know, I shouldn't be wasted when anyone possesses it. Uh, you know, I can think of 25 states where he'd probably be a governor or a senator right now. Texas just might not be one of them. And, yeah. you know, short of moving 
right into New Mexico or something, uh, you know, or, or or running for local office. I, I I don't know where there's a where there's a winnable office for him in the state of Texas right now. Go back to the House or something, but I I think he's going to have to decide. You know, does he do a cabinet position, or does he build it into something else? Where yeah, like you said, Jason, he's more of the kingmaker or. Uh, uses the political celebrity and the brand that he has to, to channel for other other candidates. Let me ask you briefly about uh, those uh, congressional races you mentioned a moment yeah. ago. Uh, there are three in South Texas. We did a podcast last week with Chuck Rocha uh, from Solidarity Strategies. He worked for Bernie Sanders. I'm sure you've run across Chuck. Uh, he's a Democratic strategist. He was really sounding the alarm that, listen, South Texas is on the precipice of falling here. He thinks that even though... Uh, Vicente Gonzalez is in a district running a Democrat running against Myra Flores, the Republican incumbent for you know six or eight months here. He thinks that that uh, Gonzalez is potentially vulnerable. That it's a Democrat plus fifteen district now. He thinks it might be D plus two, three, or four at the end of the day. Uh, some people are thinking that that Myra might actually keep that seat. Uh, Henry Cuellar. The, the question is about him too. He barely got through the primary. The question is, will Jessica Cisneros, his primary opponent, will her supporters support Cuellar, a Democrat who's also a pro-life Democrat? Are, are, are Democrats on the verge of losing South Texas? Oh, they sure could. And look, I, I have this huge map above my desk because I'm a political nerd that shows you know how every county and uh, every congressional district shifted over the last election. Uh, and it doesn't tell you necessarily you know who won each one, but it tells you where the political shifts were between 2016 and 2020. And there's a big red line in the Rio Grande Valley. And it tells you that Donald Trump did better than he did in 2016 um, when he ran in 2020 among these very voters that we're talking about in the majority, minority, very heavily Latino uh, district. Uh, and if you look at, you know, just look at the last names of the people running here. Uh, it's De La Cruz against Vallejo. It's Garcia against Cuellar. Flores against Gonzalez. Republicans have done a good job of recruiting people that look like their districts. And if 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 a Latino voter in South Texas or anywhere needs an excuse to vote Republican, um, they're finding it in really, really attractive, compelling, uh, dynamic candidates. And I think for you know for Democrats in terms of the coalition they need to put together, not just in Texas, frankly, but but across the country, um, a, a world where they can't count on, 60 to 70 percent of Latino votes is a very scary world for, for Democrats. And the answer often is uh, it's not about you know who wins the Latino vote. It's you know how much you win by or how much you lose by. And it's a much different dynamic if you're looking at the the the, the dynamics of a, a race where Latinos might break for Republicans. Losing in South Texas, I mean, I, I think if, if you know, two or three of those districts go to Republicans, it's lights out for Democrats. And we're talking about the, the the higher end of the spectrum. It's not just, you know, the five seats you need to control. We're talking about in the neighborhood of 20, 30 seats. Wow. Interesting to hear those numbers and think about the impact that those races could have on the, the national scale. Um, so let's talk about 2024. What does, because clearly on November 9th, that's when we start thinking about that, right? If we're not already thinking about it. 100%. Um, there's some talk of our governor having ambitions to run for president. Um, do you see his his name in the conversation at all for 2024? I do. I mean, I, I look, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when um, a reelected uh, George W. Bush uh, in 1998 used, uh, used the resounding reelection in a state that had been competitive not that long ago. 
uh, at the statewide level into a, a, a springboard for, for national office. And there was a direct line from that to, to, to running. Uh, obviously, Governor Perry uh, was a national candidate a couple of times as well. And uh, I, Texas is is big enough and these days red enough to practically mint presidential candidates. Uh, Ted Cruz and is still in the mix going forward as well. And I, I have no special insight about, about what Abbott's doing. He certainly hasn't done it as high profile a way as say Governor DeSantis in Florida has, but the pieces are in place. Abbott's brought in the right kind of national names and consultants and built the kind of reputation that he would need if he wants to to give it a run. Um, he might be in the category of waiting on Trump a bit. Uh, in a you know in a Trump world, a little harder to see him run. I think DeSantis runs regardless. Um, and there's a couple others who who do it regardless of whether Trump's in. Abbott may be in the let's let's see if um, if if the former president does it or not, and then and then make up uh, and then make up his mind. But you know he certainly will have put in. The, the time uh, and and the work in in putting it together, um, there's going to be you know points against them just like there there are for anyone and you know I'm very curious just you know how the the fallout from the Uvalde shooting even what that part of the state ends up voting I mean his handling of that and how that ends up reflecting on him there's certainly you know not you know not good marks on the resume as well but a lot of national Republicans are familiar with who Greg Abbott is with his story. Um, you know, another uh, if he has another resounding victory against uh, against a well-known Democrat in Beto O'Rourke, a well-funded and well-known Democrat, you know, keeping Texas red, uh, you, you could see that working for a lot of the people that uh, in the donor class. Um, you know, the Texas also gives you just access to you know almost unimaginable resources. You know, any 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 candidate needs any Republican candidate in particular, but Democrat as well needs the money out of the uh, out of Houston, out of Dallas. Out of San Antonio, out of the tech world in Austin, I mean, it's just you can't run for president without it. And to have that locked up early on is uh, is a huge advantage. That's that was the Bush advantage that he had is he just froze out so many donors. And I think in the in what we call the shadow campaign, the invisible primary, that part of the uh, that part of the world, you know, Abbott would be very well positioned if he if he decided to give it a go. That's a good point about the money because that that's hasn't really been discussed too much, even though. Abbott's just kind of on the periphery, it seems like, of the conversation now. But it sounds like, well, it doesn't sound like everything really does depend on what Donald Trump does. What do you think is going to happen there? Is he going to run or what? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he is I think he's more likely than not to run. Uh, I think there was there was some hesitation in terms of the timing of his uh, of his denouncements. Um, I think there was concern on his team's part that the, it wouldn't be a great year for Republicans. And, you know, did he did he want to be blamed for that? You're seeing him now sort of lean in in the end stages of the campaign, a whole series of rallies, including, as you know, one in Texas that notably Governor Abbott didn't attend. I, I, I thought that was a. A, a good little nugget to, to stow away. I mean, right. clearly he could have made plans to be there if he wanted to. He needs a brand that might be a little distinct from Donald Trump's. He doesn't want to do anything to screw up his own reelection. I think that had, had a little something to do with the fact that he decided to be a no-show there. But the fact that he's closing with this whole series of rallies you know, around the country uh, in Ron DeSantis's backyard in Florida and also in Iowa, which frankly, there's not a lot of reasons to be in Iowa except for presidential um, ambitions. Uh, uh, so I, 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 my presumption is that he's more likely to run than not, and that 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 has an impact on the rest of the field. 
it doesn't freeze mm. everybody out. I, there, there's good. He's not going to be alone on on a debate stage, or the, you know, the, the metaphorical debate stage. He's going to have multiple candidates running against him. There's going to be who else? Well, who I, else? I mean, DeSantis, Nick, Nikki Haley. Who else? Yeah, I, DeSantis, I think for sure. Nikki Haley, I think is is in the you know maybe maybe not. Uh, but I think Mike Pompeo, as former Secretary of State, is more likely than I. Heck, Mike Pence. Uh, he's got a book coming out right after the election um, that uh, we'll talk a little bit about January sixth and about. Uh, the you know, his view of of, of the MAGA movement, um, he's definitely made a case for it. I, and there's going to be several, you know, either never Trump or Trump skeptical Republicans. Liz Cheney, who's leaving office now, having lost her primary, is said she's going to make her singular mission to make sure that he's never the Republican nominee. Does that mean mm -hmm. inside the party or out? Maybe both. I think Liz Cheney is part of it. Chris Christie, uh, uh, who you know had a break with Trump. Um, right after the election, and but you know, we'll basically say everything that Trump did up to not conceding the election was the right thing to do. I, I very, very much wouldn't be surprised if he gives another go. He's talked about it a little bit, uh, a little bit publicly. Uh, then I, I think, uh, in addition to to people like Greg Abbott, uh, other governors like Christy Noem, yeah. Uh, in uh, in South Dakota, if she wins a big reelection, that's a big thing. Tim Scott out of South Carolina, the senator, he's he's up this year and uh, has talked widely about someone. And there's even I was out in Arizona about a week ago, guys, and uh, the Carrie Lake uh, storyline is really something to behold. Um, you know, maybe giving hope to news anchors everywhere about a, about a future, but <laughs> she is she's really very talented um, as a. As, as a speaker, uh, as, a, as a as a politician, um, knows everything about the news media, which kind of reminds me a little bit of Trump uh, in understanding how how it works. Does a ton of interviews and calls out, you know, I think unfairly, unjustly, fake news media all the time. Traffics in a whole bunch of election conspiracy theories. Frankly, uh, she's a darling of the MAGA movement. And uh, and Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, is another person I should mention. He was a big star of 2021, one of the surprise winners. He's kind of got the like businessman, the cheery businessman's uh, appeal. How about Ted Cruz, Rick? He's on a 17-state book tour. He was on uh, The View on ABC yeah. recently, sparred with the host. Sparred is there. right. Yeah. 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 Does he, I mean, I can't see him not running for president yeah, again. Totally. I've heard, I mean, the word in Cruz world has been that Republicans have often gone with the runner-up last time when they yeah. look forward. And Ted Cruz, whether whatever combination of circumstances led to it was basically the last man standing against Donald Trump in 2016. He's also yeah. become extremely loyal to Donald Trump. You saw that in his recent media appearances. He's become, you know, very combative in that, that MAGA kind of style. Uh, you know, look, I, I saw firsthand what he was able to do in Iowa in 2016, um, handed Trump a loss early on, and then he stuck around through, you know, basically the bitter end all the way through the convention with his very famous, you know, vote your conscience yeah. speech, which was one of the most electric moments I've ever witnessed in politics. It felt like a WWE match when Trump walked in and the spotlight moved. My, <laughs> I mean, truly, wow. I what a moment. Even talking about it. Truly, it was. Yeah. You know, Cruz is a different political figure since then, but you know, he is he's he's viewed as a as a warrior inside his party. Uh, and, um, you know, I, and I don't have a read as to whether he does it, you know, in a, in a Trump world versus a non-Trump world. Uh, yeah. he, but, but I, no doubt that he wants to be president and he, like a lot of the other folks that I've talked about, I mean, don't, don't forget, you know, the, the gap in age between Donald Trump and some of these other folks. I mean, Ted Cruz is, I think around 50, early fifties, maybe yeah. he could wait a while. 
you know, he could see how this all develops and, you know, keep that perch in the Senate and, you know, continue to develop what that image is and 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 pull the trigger when the when the time is right. There's other people like Tom Cotton who's, you know, in his early 40s um, that might be in the same thing where you can you can put your finger up a little bit and say now might not be the time, but um, I can I can wait uh, because this is such a volatile and and frankly weird time um, and. You know, if you're looking at this now as a Republican, you're thinking, what are the odds that I beat Trump? Um, you know, he's by far the most popular figure in the party. And and you have these other people like DeSantis, who in my view is going to run anyway. And this is going to be a messy 2023 and 2024 for Republicans. Maybe you want to be on the outside looking in and, uh, you know, be the sought after endorsement uh, and and work for him down the road. But I, I, I certainly would not count out Ted Cruz for national office. Whew. You said it's messy for Republicans. I think it's messy for all of us. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's wearying too. And I know I'm sure so many of your viewers like the, enough of the ads and enough of the attention, and all that. I mean, it's it is it is it is a wearying time in politics. Look, I the the you know I, I want to always think the hopeful signs out of all of this in this moment that we're in. People are voting. People are interested. People are engaged. Uh, you know, I I've, I've covered midterm cycles that are frankly kind of snoozers. This isn't one of them. Um, and, you know, maybe the outcomes won't be the way that people like, and maybe there's going to be some, you know, downright scary things and people that get that get elected if you're of one political persuasion or the other. But the answer is to be engaged and to be active and to organize and to vote, vote, vote. And that's happening. And I, I think we're in an era where we're not going to have low turnout elections for anything from dog catcher up through Congress and president. People are ginned up on politics both sides um uh the, the red team and the blue team are both engaged there's a lot of independents that you know whether or not they're moderate independents are, are engaged as well I, I don't think you have to be reminded of the stakes yeah no doubt rick always appreciate the insight man i, I hope to see you in iowa if not talk to you before then <laughs> but before we let you go you guys were uh in dallas yeah on sunday morning with this week and abc is still going to be uh in texas what on yeah monday? through through monday for, for for gma3 we've got actually we got an interview with with beto o'rourke that we're gonna uh, bring you my colleague uh, tj holmes um you know in, in addition to the the reporting that martha raddatz has been doing you know not just in texas but throughout the southwest and the west she spent some time in nevada um where there's a very close senate race probably the best opportunity republicans have for pickup anywhere and even in utah where you've got an independent candidate evan mcmullen who's given a real scare to ted cruz's best friend mike lee uh they so there's i really think i mean i've i listen I, as i said to you guys earlier I, I started my career in dallas and i i, I love texas and i love the southwest and i love the west but i think there's a you know the 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 races in the in in the southwest and the west would get a lot more attention if they were a couple time zones over sometimes and uh it's been exciting to to be able to spend some time in arizona in texas uh in races that are enormously consequential for all the reasons that we outlined and more I mean, it's not just about who your senator is going to be or your congressman or your governor is going to be in a lot of these cases it's about you know who's going to who's going to be controlling um the united states senate or the united states house and um and who's going to be controlling the levers of government the next time we vote for president, even if you don't care about, yeah. you know, the state, those statewide offices, it matters a lot who your secretary of state, attorney general, uh, governor, lieutenant governor are. And uh, I, again, I've never spent as much time thinking about and reporting on those kind of races, but uh, it's been it's been gratifying to get out a bit and uh, to talk to people. Awesome. Rick, good catching up, man. Thanks so much for the insight. Thank you, Happy Rick. to help, guys. Good to see you. Hang in there. Take care.
All right, Teresa, let me ask you. Um, do you think Greg Abbott's going to run for president? Gosh. <laughs> I mean, you know what? He's perfectly positioned to do it. I mean, one of the most prolific fundraisers our state has ever seen, if not mm -hmm. the most. So he's definitely positioned to do it. He has a high profile. And some of the things he's done over the course of this um, this last term in office certainly seem like he's positioning himself on more of a national stage. But I don't know. I'm not a prognosticator. I'm just a reporter. Ted Cruz, how about him? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Although, Ted Cruz is easy. He yeah, is, you know he's he is, he is. Although, as you know, Rick said, um, there's a chance that he may say, maybe I sit this one out and, and, and wait until there's you know, less of a field, less of a chance that you're going up against Donald Trump again. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But I feel like, I feel like Ted Cruz is always running for president. <laughs> yeah. Who else goes on a 17-state book tour right now? Who else does national TV appearances? Exactly. Not on friendly media like Fox News, but on places like The View where right. he can go and, and know that he's guaranteed headlines yeah. out of that. Yeah, yeah. People who show up on Fox News and friendly media, you're not guaranteed a headline out of that. But if no. you go and, and, and clash with somebody uh, on The View, you're definitely getting headlines out of that. And I, you know, I, he's, I, got, he's, he, he's got that podcast. I think he saw that Jason Whiteley was getting so much attention with the podcast that he said, I've got to do it too. And so It's, so it's he, tough. It, it, it's a wild world out there. there but we'll see, how, uh, see if he can get close to y'all ticks. I, I don't know if the senator can get close to y'all ticks. <laughs> we haven't had him on in a while. Maybe The maybe invitation's open, on. Senator Cruz. <laughs> it, it, it is indeed open. Um, I, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens with uh, with Donald Trump. I, you know, everyone says he's going to run again. I, I've talked to uh, Republican donors who say, yes, he's going to run again. How do I know? Because he told me he's going to run yeah. again. I'm just, I, I don't know. Maybe he does. And of course, the 2024 race starts on Wednesday, November the 9th, as you, as you said. So we all like to get ahead, or, ahead of ourselves, but I'm, I'm just not sure what he's going to do. I've heard a lot of people who say he can't not run at this stage, that, it's, that he's really set himself up to do it. Um, and whether or not there's any sort of motivation regarding some of the investigations that are underway, who knows. Um, but I also think that um, he's not going to do something unless he really, truly believes he can win. So um, maybe, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Does, does he start a, a campaign and then not, not see it all the way through if, if some of these um, allegations just, just won't you know, just seem to be affecting his poll numbers yeah. or something. But I don't know. We, we know. We know he's got a solid handle on the Republican Party right now. Or, or are the investigations in January 6th uh, hearings, is that fuel that Absolutely. he needs to run? Absolutely. You know? I mean, you saw the bump or you saw the, the, um, you saw the reaction to the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Um, that was not something that, that said pe turned people off. They, people just, you know, they rallied behind him. It strengthened yeah. his support. Wow. Already talking about 2024. What are we doing, Jason? Why are, why are we doing know. that? We've still got an election in days. We, we're torturing ourselves. It, it's a long time to 2024. And Two you're years. Gonna, you're going to have a long night and a long day. We all are. We all are. Oh, yeah, Indeed. And hopefully Wheeler comes back from his vacation by then. I, th that guy's had more time off this year. And if he comes back with a tan, I'm going to have a problem with that. <laughs> I promise you. I'm not getting a tan. I'm sitting in my house working. <laughs> uh, exactly. As am I while Wheeler's off gallivanting somewhere. Uh, so anyway, Teresa, I'll always, always enjoy having you on, on the podcast. Great. You're, you're, you're going to be with us uh, for another week or so, I think, I yep. hope. I believe um, so. And good. And just a reminder to our listeners, if you haven't voted, get out there and vote early. You yes. have another week. You can do it any day you want this coming week. Uh, early voting ends on Friday, November the 4th. 
keep that in mind. You can go during lunch any day this week. If you don't get a chance, election day is on Tuesday, November the 8th. And uh, Wheeler may or may not be back by then. Who knows? I Um, hope he's back. We we will certainly be back. So we appreciate you listening. Always appreciate you downloading uh, Yolitics. Have Have a a great day, everybody. Thank you.